right. Hey, uh, we are jumping back into our book of James, and I wanted uh, a lot of you guys know my wife, Jen. And Jen, one of the things, if you don't know her, that you should know about her is that my wife loves, loves older people. I mean, she just loves older people. And it is fun to watch her because in her work, you know, the part of her life that she does for pay away from the house, uh, she is a physical therapist. And so she gets to go into these homes of people and often that demographic that she works with is much, much older. And so it's fun to watch her sort of light up when she gets around people who are of advanced years. Now, I, I used to say old people, but now that I'm almost in that category, or in some people's eyes, I am in that category, I say people that are older, older people, older than I am. Uh, and so she just loves those people. Even if they're, you know, think it's still World War II and they're connecting with a loved one, she just has this ability to engage with them. As long as I've known her, as long as she's been a physical therapist, which is over 20 years, uh, one of the things that she has always said, though, about people as we age, people tend to go in one of two directions. On one hand, people can tend to move towards being really pleasant in their old age. Like, they're just kind of delightful. You know, they, they kind of realize that life is a marathon or has been a marathon, and the pressure of everything is sort of stripped away, and so they end up, at the end of their life, kind of full of joy and, and just being very, very delightful. And then she says, that's one side. On the other side, people can move, as you probably know, in the other direction, where they to be uh, bitter and almost hostile and combative. It's where we get that whole like grumpy old man, crotchety old man or old woman uh, moniker for people. It's not fair, right? Like it's not just those two extremes. It's probably like a sliding scale like you have up here. So on one hand, you have um, like Walter. If you don't know who Walter is, Google Walter and the ventriloquist guy. It's super funny. Very, very funny. But he is just this crotchety old man, and everything is just criticize and tear down, and like it's all just crap. And then you got the two guys on the top. I don't know if you guys, this is what I grew up with was the Muppets. Remember the two old guys in the, in the balcony who would just sit up there and lob critique at everything that was going on? So that's one side, you know, the crotchety old guy that's just kind of angry. And then on the other side, you have this is all I could think of, Betty White, right? Like, she's just delightful. I don't know what she's like in real life, but boy, she comes across as just really, really delightful and fun to be around. And then, you know, the other one was Peter Falk was the one that jumped in my head, the grandpa from, thank you, The Princess Bride, where he just comes in as you wish, he says there. He's just sort of this full of delight and joy and just fun to be around. And so it's interesting that we have sort of those two categories of people and, and whatever you end up or wherever people end up is often, it, it is almost always a product of a lifetime of experiences and choices that they have made. Nobody really wakes up one morning and goes, you know what, I just want to be a grumpy old fart. But it's, it's a series of product, a product of a series of choices and experiences that we have in life that leads us in one direction or another. Life is kind of cumulative that way. If you think about it, it's sort of like a teeter-totter, really, honestly. Like when we move a little bit in one direction, and it tends to have a gravity to it that continues to move us down in that direction. Move towards being cr cranky and grumpy, you're going to get a little bit more cranky and grumpy. If you surround yourself with cranky and grumpy people, that's what's going to happen. 
On the other side, just in the natural, if we move towards being full of life and joy, we surround ourselves with those people, things tend to get better. You may not end up being Betty White, but you're going to end up, you know, at least a little bit full of joy and happiness. And the reason that we're talking about this this morning is that we're jumping back into the book of James. And James, Trey did a great job last week kind of unpacking where we are in the middle of James. We're in James chapter 4. And in the middle of chapter 4, James just has some very real statements for people. He's written this letter to a bunch of people who are scattered, scattered all over. They've got all kinds of difficulty, things that they're really engaged with that are a challenge. They're in difficult circumstances. And so he writes to them. And this is the very first start of uh, verse 4. Trey read some of this last week, but I want us to jump in. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes you guys to get grumpy with one another? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? See, you desire, but you don't have, and so you kill. Literally or or metaphorically, you covet, but you can't get what you want, and so then you quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get and what you want on your pleasures. So that's the context that James is writing this. It's the context of relationships, how we treat other people. It's in the context of whether or not we're going to follow one avenue of wisdom, which he talks about right before this, that is earthly, that is unspiritual, that is, he says, demonic, where we're going to live in a self-centered and cynical manner that leads to quarreling and fighting, or we're going to live from a different kind of wisdom, one that leads us to be at peace and to move in a direction away from all of that quarreling and more towards life and peace that God wants for us. And so that's the context that he writes this. All this fighting that's going on. Why are there quarrels and fights among you? And then he says, he sort of takes him to task. And I love this book because he doesn't pull any punches. He's like going to the doctor when you're way, way overweight and the doctor has to tell you, stop eating butter, right? Like this is the deal. You've got to stop eating sticks of butter. And so James is saying this in as blunt a way as he can to his people. He goes, look, you adulterous people, that's kind of harsh. But he's saying, like, you're choosing something that is, you're betraying your first love. You're choosing something out of a lack of faithfulness to God and his plan for you. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more and more grace. That's why the Scriptures say that God opposes the proud but gives favor or grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come near to God. He will come near to you. But get on your hands and knees on this one. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Where you've bought into this, you have become double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter and mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Mike was supposed to preach on this, but I think he handed this off because you read that and it's like, ugh. This is just like, blah. How do we make sense of, like, this does not feel like, hey, Jesus loves you kind of sermon. It's not a letter that's written that way. 
But here's what's so amazing. When you dive into this, we begin to see what's going on. Like Trey said last week, James doesn't point to punches. He goes, look, here's your problem. You want to know why there's fighting and quarreling among you? Here's the issue. You're living out of a self-centeredness. You become friends with a world that is broken and beat up, and you've bought into that, and it's put you at odds with the very thing that God made you for. That's why all this stuff is going on. You're bought into the system. And you're choosing it. See, those two words, it's so interesting when I was looking at this, the two words there, friendship and enmity with God. On one side, friendship is the word phileo, the Greek word phileo, which you've heard is Philadelphia, uh, that kind of love that is about a, a genuine, like so, sort of an affection for things or for people. It's a fondness. It's an embracing and valuing something or someone, putting it in a position of value in our lives. So it's an affection for something, a fondness for something or someone, a love for something or someone. And then enmity on the other side. So that's the piece he goes, like your friendship, your fondness of the world has put you at odds. Enmity, this hostility, this this alienation. It's the reason that you are feeling this disconnect with God and with his kingdom and with his glory and with all the things that he wants for you. Now, James uses some words here that, that, again, those are two of the words, but just to get our heads around, because it's very easy when he says, like, friendship with the world, and then we go, well, that seems like a bad thing, that that puts you at odds with God. When we look at our world, and we're like, wait a second, the world is kind of good. Like, there's some good things in the world. There's some great things in the world. Why is James so down on this? What you have to understand is that what he's talking about when he says the world, friendship with the world, he's not talking about creation. He's not necessarily talking about the beauty that's all around us, all the glorious things that are around us, sunsets and people, uh, love and joy, and all of the other stuff that we experience in life. What he's talking about, he's talking about the broken, the messed up nature of things. He's talking about the systems and the philosophies and the politics that lead us to a place of enmity or distraction against the things of God. And so when he says, like, friendship with the world, what he's talking about is when you've bought in to all of those broken things, all the things that are messed up in this world, and you're trying to swim and navigate it. That's why I said, uh, you know, be in the world, but not of the world. He's saying, don't buy in. Remember, you were made for something more. You were made for a glory that God has put in you. So don't buy into the system. So remember, there's a context here. There's two kinds of wisdom that James is talking about. And there's a little bit of a duality to this that he's contrasting here. He's saying when you buy into the world and just start doing everything that the way everybody else does, the world does, there's a wisdom in that that leads to destruction that's earthly, that's unspiritual, that actually is demonic in its origin. So follow that, go on that side of the fulcrum, on the teeter-totter, and you're going to start to tip over in that direction. On the contrast, there's this other kind of wisdom that moves you 
in a different direction that moves you towards peace and life and faith. Again, it's a sliding scale, and the question that's always before us that James puts in front of us is, like, how do you know which way that you're moving? Am I moving more towards life and peace and joy? Am I moving more towards being a crotchety old person? And embracing all of that junk that God has. And I would say the, the answer to that is, you'll know which way you're moving by what's being produced in you. You'll know which way you're moving by what is being produced in you. This is the common theme that James just continues to come back to. He's saying, look, I know you're having to navigate a whole bunch of stuff in the world around you. I know you're in different cultures, in foreign lands with a whole different different definition of rules. I know they've got a lot of things in their lifestyle and their patterns of living that are antithetical to what you have learned. And I know you're going to have to learn to navigate that. But don't get sucked in. Don't start buying into the way that everybody else does things. And if we just look around our world, it's very easy to see that kind of wisdom does lead to destruction. I mean, what's being manifest right now is absolutely an expression of this. It's all the things that James says don't embrace. Be on your guard for. Watch out because they have a gravity that's going to pull you on the teeter-totter towards that grumpy old cynical, angry person. It's like Jesus says, you're going to know a tree by its fruit. And so in this season in particular, it is incumbent upon God's people, us here, to always be looking on the inside and going, what kind of fruit are my affections, my affiliations, what kind of fruit are they producing in my soul? Let me say that again. As followers of Jesus, it is incumbent upon us. We have to take a look in the mirror. And we have to begin to ask the question, all of the things that I am fond of, that I am attracted to, that I am embracing in this world, what are they producing in me? What's the fruit? It's amazing to me that the scriptures speak so clearly about all this stuff. So I was reading the other day uh, in Galatians 5. I've been reading through the book of Galatians just in my quiet time, and I get to Galatians 5. And you start to read this incredible case that Paul makes for freedom. He starts out the, verse, the very first verse of verse 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So don't get encumbered by a yoke of slavery again, trying to follow all the rules, trying to do everything just right, trying to get everything perfect. Don't do that because it's just going to destroy you. Remember, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So then he gets to the middle of the, of the chapter. This is Galatians 5. He says, so I say, don't get all encumbered. So I say, walk, live by the Spirit. And you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature, see, the sinful nature, the world, the, the systems, the broken pieces of us and the world around us, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are on two extremes of the teeter-totter, of the pendulum. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Another uh, translation, I love the translation of that verse. It says, they are constantly fighting each other so that your choices are never free 
from that conflict. The sinful nature and the spirit are always fighting each other so that your choices are never free from that conflict. But if you're led by the spirit, see, you're not under the law. See, the acts of the sinful nature, the acts of people just being people, the acts of the brokenness of our world and everything that's going on around us, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Like they play out in an obvious way. Sexual morality, impurity, debauchery. Go back to the verse for me if you would. Idolatry and witchcraft, hostility, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions, drunkenness, orgies. Just look at that list and then ask your question, what is the fruit of what is being born around our country right now? See, it's easy to look at that list and just go, oh, that's the kind of thing that we don't want to do. Paul talks about that. And you read the scriptures and you're like, well, it feels kind of like an antiquated list and all that stuff until you start watching the news. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, idolatry. Like elevating something to a place of worship that it doesn't deserve. Politics is our new religion. Party is has become an idol. Hostility. I mean, you just don't have to look hard to find some of these things. Hostility uh, is contention and strife and wrangling and arguing. That's what that means. Discord, another one. And that's actually the same word that Paul uses earlier, uh, that James uses earlier when he talks about us being having enmity with God. Same word, discord, means uh, hostility or alienation, where we we get alienated not just from people, but from God too. He goes on, jealousy, fits of rage, outbursts of anger is another translation of that, fits of rage. Selfish ambition, being driven by just what we want, no matter what it does to the world around us. Dissensions and factions. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This is the idea of digging our feet in based on and separating ourselves from other people based on a philosophy or an opinion. To the fruit of the sinful nature, is exactly what's going on around us right now. It's a fruit. And I used to think these are just, you know, that's what bad people do. And then you start to take a step back and you're like, well, actually, no. Because if I'm really honest and I start looking through that list, I'm like, hmm, yeah, I've had some discord. I've been jealous. I've flown off the handle a time or two. I have to be on guard against selfish ambition my party, my politics, watching CNN solely and not really watching anything else, siloing up with my people, Fox News on the other side. Again, James is kind of pointing a finger at something, and if it hurts to hear this and to read this, then good. Because he's warning us. He's saying, you can't let this become what defines you. See, the, the hard thing for us is that we, when we get lost in the world, 
it becomes easier and easier and easier to choose those things. If you live in the world long enough, it'll be little choices, one after the other, that lead you towards the side of being a grumpy, old, cynical, angry person. It's just the way things work. And the hard question for us to recognize or to realize is to ask, where's the tipping point? Where's the tipping point? If you move too far to one side where you just sort of disappear into your anger, into your silo, into your dissension, into your factions, into your sexual immorality. See, in the same way that we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, which we'll talk about in a second, Paul is just describing the fruit of our choices. They will manifest itself this way. See, but that's not the end of it because James is looking at the picture holistically and he's just saying, stop. Stop long enough to notice. Like Paul says in Romans, don't be so conformed or so easily conformed to the world around you that you fit in without even thinking about it. James is just saying, stop and think about it. Stop and think about it. He comes to the end, he goes, remember, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So therefore, therefore, submit yourselves then to God. Choose in those little day-to-day choices. Choose what's on the other side. Choose to move away from discord and hostility. Choose to move away from contention and arguing. Choose to move away from sexual immorality and impurity. Away from things that are selfish. Notice what's going on inside you so that you can turn around. Because here's the truth. For every one of us, God wants so much more for us than that. So he says, resist the devil. Remember, he will flee from you. He does not have power over you. Come near to God and God will always come near to you. Why? Because he has, he gives us so much more grace. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. He's not saying literally, I mean, he is saying like repent, like confess, get on your face, recognize what's going on around you and the ways that you've bought into it. But then, man, put a stake in the ground. Shed that stuff. Humble yourselves before God so that what? So that he will lift you up, so that he will put you on the other side of the spectrum. See, because again, just as all of those little things produce fruit in us that's not good, the fruit of anger, the fruit of dissension, the fruit of division and discord and rivalry and envy and all of that stuff, all of that fruit, just like there is that kind of fruit in the world when we buy into those systems, on the other side, there's all this other fruit that God wants to pour out into us and then through us. And so you go right straight over to that, uh, the other side of the spectrum. If we can fast forward to the other one there. On the other side, on one side, you've got all this junk that God did not intend for us to walk in or carry. And on the other side, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Notice how exactly opposite those really are. Notice how exactly opposite those really are. James is saying, look, you are going 
you are going to get pulled in one of two directions. Which one is it going to be? Because the truth is, God wants you to live and experience and walk in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. See, as we get older, as I get older, that's what's in front of me. To walk in a way that leads me to being cynical and angry and frustrated with the world or to choose and let the Holy Spirit move in me to where I am moving towards being delightful and full of joy and the kind of person that my wife wants to see. That's what I long for. That's what God longs for, for each of us. The thing, one of the things about Sheena's mom and the whole story with that was watching how the Holy Spirit can take somebody who has gotten lost in cynicism and anger and bitterness, and transform them almost overnight into a person who is overflowing with love and joy and peace. That's what our God does. That's how he moves in us when we let him. But remember that this world all around us has such a gravity that it will suck you in unless you're paying attention Unless you're willing to, we are willing to submit ourselves then to God. What he wants to produce in us is a fruit of the Spirit that looks different from the world around us. It's easy to get sucked in to hostility and answer hostility with this hostility, to live out of fear and walk into isolation, to live in division and define ourselves based on our politics or our party affiliation, our secondary identity issues to live self-centeredly and trying to have it all. That is honestly, and again, I don't want to, it's, it's so hard when you preach on stuff like this because you don't want to just go, that, the world, bad, God, good. But at some level, that is so true. And the invitation to us is to live then as children of light, as children of the day, as people who walk in the power and the fruit of the Spirit. See, the world will try to suck you in to tipping that teeter-totter down. And God is trying to lift you up. So here's what we're going to do, just as we end this service, because, you know, again, I know that this is a little bit heavy in its way, but, but there is an, a measure to which, as God's people, we're called to stand out and to be different. And when we just get sucked into looking like everybody else around us, there is no difference. And we're not living into the calling that God has for us, not to mention the joy and the power and the authority that God has invited us into. So I'm going to have you, if you would, just stand with me here. If you're at home, you can stand too, because this is important. You know, we haven't done this in a while because we haven't been able to really take communion in a while. But I wonder if we might just practice this together. See, here's, here's what we used to do or what we often did together was, was this thing called confession where we did what, a little bit of what James is getting at here, where we kind of said to God, we submitted ourselves to God, and we went, yeah, I'm messed up. I've got some stuff in my life that is not honoring to you. 
I've got arguments and dissension with people that is not leading me to a place of joy and peace. I have got uh, lusts and, and, and attractions in my own heart that are leading me to a place that is opposed to the very things that I have been invited into. Confession allows us space. It allows us space to get real with ourselves under the hand of a God who just continues to pour out grace. Does that make sense? We don't confess because we want to beat ourselves up. We confess because we're practicing what James says to do here. Submit yourself then to God. Humble yourself before God because we know, we know, we know that God's heart is to then lift us up. So I just encourage you, take two minutes right where you are. Cole, play some music and just be honest with God. Spend a little bit of time mourning your own sin. Spend a little bit of time acknowledging the places where your affections have moved you away from God, where your love for the world has brought you to a place of alignment with it and out of alignment with the character and the heart and the nature of God. Let's confess those things quietly. And then we're going to join with some words that we have on the screen. We haven't practiced this in a while together. And again, if you're joining us at home, say these out loud. Join in. Because it is appropriate to humble ourselves before the God and Father who loves us unconditionally. We have freedom. It is for freedom that we have been set for. We have freedom to confess even the darkest parts of our soul because the love of God is so completely unconditional. So let's pray. invite you just to join me in saying these words. Remember, our posture in this is that we are submitting ourselves to God, knowing in humility, knowing his love for us is so complete, his grace for us is so powerful that he is going to lift us up. So let's say this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word, and in deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved you, our neighbors, as ourselves. We are truly sorry. We humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your way to the glory of your name. Amen. As God's people, we are invited to walk 
in his ways to the glory of his name. That's the invitation. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. As we sing this last song, I just encourage you in this posture of pouring out our hearts and our souls to God to worship because he loves you so completely. Amen.
Jesus, we're so grateful that we are no longer a slave to think fear and hostility and division and selfishness. God, that you have set us free from all of that. While we may still wrestle, God, the invitation is to walk in our freedom, to know that we are children of God, loved unconditionally, poured out with grace. And so we ask now that you would send us out in that very spirit. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we say, amen, amen. Go in the name of God who loves you and has sent you to be a light in this world. Amen.